to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Leo Miller. Okay. I am preaching on prayer and praying. You say, uh, we know that. We don't know how much longer you're going to do that. Uh, I will probably wrap this little series up next Sunday. Everybody say, praise the Lord. That's the best response I've had yet. So uh, I believe we need to talk about prayer. I know a lot of you know these things that I'm sharing. Many of you have been with the Lord and either come back to the Lord. You're familiar with the subject of prayer. But for many people, this is a new experience. And culture changes. And what culture calls prayer is not prayer sometimes. And so there is a reason to visit these things in this setting and to, to encourage it. Plus to encourage us and to remind us of the things we should be doing some of us, it's easy to get out of the discipline of prayer. We've been talking about our need to pray and that we need to be spiritual people and not carnal people. You can be in church and still be carnal, uh, and not really exercising the things that you know, not really striving to walk with God and, and to know the Lord and, and not to live uh, in a way that we shouldn't live. We need to renew our spiritual disciplines. You know, when we come to the Lord, there are things that, we're called to walk with the Lord, to know the Lord, and to be near to the Lord. And it requires choices and decisions in our life uh, to position us in that place that we need to be with God. And there's things we have to turn away from, and there's things we need to turn towards. There's sins of omission, and there's sins of commission. There's things we don't, we're doing that we don't need to do. There's things that we're not doing that we should be doing. And those things are spiritual disciplines we need to add to our life and seek the Lord. We've spoken about how to pray. We need to pray sincerely. We need to be respectful. Remember that we're talking to God who's on the throne. We are his sons and his daughters. He is our father. Some people even call Jesus their best friend. Call him what you want, but respect him and honor him, love him and serve him. Amen. And so we're to do that. We pray because we can. Why should I pray? Because you can. Because God will listen to us. What an awesome thing. You couldn't get the audience of anybody more important than God. I mean, you may want, try to want to talk to somebody famous or popular. There's nobody more famous than Jesus Christ. And he's right there. He's right there for our listening. We pray because we can. We pray because God's the one that can most help us in our life. More than whining, more than crying, more than Facebook, more than GoFundMe pages, more than, don't get me started, more than all these things. God is the one that can most help us. So we pray. We pray because God listens and answers. You ever been talking to somebody and then you said, are you listening to me? Yeah, you have. Come on, guys. Are you listening to me? Well, you, oh, you are. I was just kidding, but okay. <laughs> Well, God listens. Oops. God listens to us. And besides that, praying is the only way you will ever really live for the Lord. You can't do it just by the strength of your bootstraps, your own self, self-control and willpower. We need God's power. Willpower is good. We need to have the willingness to live for the Lord. But it takes the power of God to enable us to do the things of God. And we receive that through his presence and through prayer and being near him. Today, prayer and praying. My hope is that if you have not been spending some time in prayer, you will soon start. 
you will soon start. Time is a commodity we spend on the things that we value. And so I said spending time because when you do something, you're spending time. You're giving your time to that. It is something we're spending, we're giving ourselves to. And time is that important commodity that we don't give to just anything. People say, well, will you do this? I don't know. We'll see if I have the time. Well, it's a matter of we all have the same amount of time. It's what we're going to release it for, spend it towards. And so if we value prayer, we will spend time on prayer. We will spend time with the Lord on prayer. I encourage you to take at least 15 to 30 minutes a day. Start your day off with a little Bible reading and thanksgiving and worship, thanking God and for his help and grace in your life and, and then seeking him for that day's need and the things that you're going to be confronted with and the blessing that you will have the opportunity to be to people, the, the strength to overcome temptations and struggles and habits and fix the brokenness that's in your life. And so that's why we pray. We encourage us to do that. And if you've not yet done that, I encourage you to begin to start that. I talking to somebody the other day and they said, I really appreciate you talking about prayer. I haven't really changed anything yet, but I appreciate it. Honest soul. And I'm praying we change something about it. Amen? That we do that. We want to speak more about what prayer, what biblical prayer is this morning for all of our sake. Modern culture is open to the idea of prayer and spiritual thoughts and meditation. Our culture often talks about you know, I'll send you good thoughts or the prayer, and they talk about it in some strange ways. But uh, culture doesn't have a problem with that. It's when you attach the name of Jesus to it that in many ways it becomes a problem. You will hear modern culture speak about their truth. They will say things like, whatever your truth is, it's okay. Well, that's your truth. Well, that's fine, you know. Whatever your truth is, you hear those things so much, you know, and and uh, whatever your reality is, people are certainly free to decide their own truth, their idea of God and worship. I mean, you're free to believe what you want to believe. And uh, we have that freedom to do that. But the Bible, uh, but the Bible is the foundation, at least it should be the bedrock of all the things that we as Christians are to believe. That is to be the foundation of our truth. Amen. The Bible does not say your truth will set you free. It says the truth will set you free. It doesn't say your truth will set you free. And we don't really do people any favors by agreeing with this idea. Well, whatever your truth is, is okay. It is not okay. Now, in our culture, it's not okay to say that. But the Lord didn't say whatever Matt Burton's truth is will set all of you free. No, it says the truth. John 8, Matt usually preaches truth, though. I'm glad for that. Wednesday night, he's doing a good job on Wednesday night with Daniel in the lion's den. You're missing it if you're not coming out. We got him out of the lion's den last Wednesday, though. See what happens this week. John 8, verses 31 through 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Not your truth, not my truth, the truth, and that is Jesus Christ and the things that he teaches us. And in the culture we are living in, we are so pressured to, to give in to all this, this uh, 
ideal thinking that, well, let's just don't mess anybody up. Let's don't challenge anybody's thoughts or this or that or one thing or another, whatever they think's okay, as long as they're praying to something and having some kind of good thoughts or whatever, it's all that matters. But it's not true. Your truth, people's truth won't set you free, only the truth of the gospel. Culture may have the wrong idea about truth and prayer. They say things like, and prayer to them is something like, well, I'm sending off good thoughts for you. I wonder where they're going to find their home. I have, I have some good thoughts for you. And people have bad thoughts for you, too. They can keep them to themselves, all right? Uh, they meditate on positive things. That's a cultural thing. People do yoga and meditate. Mm. You know? I, don't, I mean, I don't know about the yoga thing. It's not, meditation is not just attached to those things. It's attached to a lot of things. You can do yoga without meditating on false things for sure. But meditation is a big thing. They have visualization. They visualize things they desire. You know, just think it and just visualize it. Just believe it. Just know that you're going to receive it kind of thing. I'm a poet. I couldn't say all that again if I tried. <laughs> but that's kind of modern culture. Your truth is what matters. Just put yourself there, have good thoughts, and think, and put yourself in a good place, and, you know, chant a few little things, spiritual chantings. That's the culture we live in. Many of these things are accepted and even encouraged. But the root of a lot of them is in Buddhism or other false religion, religions or Eastern religions. And they're the root of a lot of these things. Just good thoughts and good vibes and thoughts of karma and all that stuff. That is not Christian faith. You often see and hear Christians that are so confused. They'll, they'll have a scripture and then they have some kind of sign of some other Eastern religion sitting above it or some Wicca thing or something. I mean, you, you, people, uh, some people are innocently swept up in things they're not aware of. I encourage you to know what it is you're talking about when you're talking about spiritual things. And so there's this atmosphere that wants us to, to accept everybody's spirituality and everybody's definition and place of spiritualism. But that is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith, faith is the truth. And it is specific about the things that we are to believe in and the things we're to follow. As a pastor, uh, I am, as I told you last week, responsible to you to tell you about those things. But I'm not responsible for you. What you do with these truths are your responsibility. But it's certainly our responsibility as ministry leaders to proclaim it. So don't be confused and don't let your faith be some American Eastern religion gumbo with a little of this and a little of that and it really doesn't matter as long as everybody's happy and, and feeling good about themselves. The truth may make you feel bad about yourself for a short time until you come to a place of surrender and you surrender to the truth of who God is and who we are and the truth of our need for him. And in that is where we find peace. And so be careful about what you attach yourself to. We're talking about biblical meditation, 
a biblical prayer. Biblical meditation and prayer is different from modern culture or the Eastern religions. Eastern religions and meaning of meditation has to do with training your mind to a mode of consciousness so that you can experience something that you're imagining in your mind. It's training your consciousness. It's training yourself to think certain thoughts and certain things. This kind of meditation looks to themselves. It looks to themselves and, and for peace and stress relief and, and healing and comfort. And that is not biblical meditation. Biblical medication, meditation and medication. Biblical medication is meditation. How's that? <laughs> Get my words all lined up here. But biblical meditation and prayer are different. We fix our minds and heart on the truth of God's word. That's where our mind and our hearts are to be fixed. Joshua 1 in verse 8 says, Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Meditate on God's principles, on his laws, on his word. Philippians 4, verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so meditating in the Eastern religious forms is not going to bring peace. Only Christ really can bring us peace, lasting peace. We look at 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Don't just internalize them and trying to produce some kind of peace or some kind of thing in your life. Give them to the Lord and what God says. Call upon the Lord. Let him become your peace. Let him work in your life and your heart. And so... This is the kind of thing we're talking about when we talk about meditating. God's Word is all the truth we need. God's Word is all the truth you and I need in our life. Biblical meditation is to fix our eyes and our thoughts on the truth of God's Word and to, to bring it over. It is to ponder it. It is to think about it. It is to reflect on how it applies to our life. It is to reflect on how that we are to respond in light of what God says about us and for us and to us. That is what we are to meditate on. If you're going to close your eyes and think about anything and visualize anything, have that, see that verse of Scripture in front of you and, and repeat it and, and say, Lord, help me to become that. Help me to experience all those spiritual things. You said you provided everything I need to live godly in Christ Jesus in 1 Peter. I want everything I need today. Fill me with everything I need today. That is spiritual meditation and biblical prayer. Not just leaving your mind open to whatever thought and whatever thing you want to experience. And so you can burn candles, you can burn incense, you can have a quiet moment, you can sit under a palm tree or in your bathtub or on your back porch with your truth. But it will not do you much of any good unless it's the truth. The truth. Wherever else you sit. In a deer blind or whatever. There we go. Now I'm talking. All right. Y'all there? 
Didn't know it was going to beat up on everybody so much, did you? When we pray, when we pray, we are to pray in Jesus' name. Where do you think we are? Idiots, preacher? We know that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to answer that question. I don't think, well, I will answer that. I don't think we're idiots, but I think sometimes we lose sight of why we are where we're at. And, and quite frankly, there was a time when you learned that, what that meant and what, why we had to pray in Jesus' name. And there are others here that maybe have not yet learned that, that are new to the faith. To pray in Jesus' name is to invoke his authority into our situation. It is to come on his behalf and in his name. And one of the good examples we give all the time, if, if I gave you a check and I just made it out for $20,000 and all generations check in there and it didn't have a signature on it, it wouldn't do you any good. Oh, well, just need a signature. Well, let's, let's let Gabriel sign it. Wouldn't do you any good. They'd arrest him for writing checks without the proper authority. But you put the right check, the right signatures on that check. Now they have the authority to release that to you. So when we go to the Lord and when we speak against things in culture and that we're, we're battling in prayer for and we go in the name of Jesus we have authority for those things to be released to us in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus, not because we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. We had a good meditation service. You know? Not because, you know, we haven't we've been good this week. Whether you've been good or bad, you go when you pray and we pray in the name of Jesus. And if we've been bad, it's, Lord, I confess my sins to you, and I ask in the name of Jesus to be renewed and to be forgiven, and I am sorry for what I've done. And all of that still just proves that I have need, and so I'm praying to you today in Jesus' name that these things that I need will be released in the name of Jesus. It was that that name there, I'm invoking the name of Christ over this sickness or this situation, this need. Only Christ has the authority. You remember that story in the New Testament where the man said, Lord, come and heal my servant. And, and Jesus said, I'll be down there in a little while. He said, well, Lord, you don't even need to come. Just speak. And I know it will happen because I'm a man of authority. And when I tell one guy to do this, he does it. I tell another guy to do that. I know you only need to speak. So it's a thing of authority. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we're invoking that authority over those things, not in our name. And we see that John 14, verses 12 through 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so when we pray we pray in the name of Jesus amen when we pray we are to pray in faith faith in God not self not faith in faith but in God I would say as I've said before even our faith though is subject to the will of God yet we shouldn't use that as a scapegoat not to have faith 
We need to be people of faith. Matthew 21, verse 22. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy. We'll find grace to help us when we need it most. And so we, we have confidence that we can go to the throne of God. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Faith is the confidence that we have, we hope for, will actually happen. The things we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about things we cannot see. So faith does not wait for things to materialize, but faith calls things that are not as if they were and has complete and embraces all that God has said for us and about us and what belongs to us. So faith speaks to the Lord and to situations about those things that God has said. Hebrews 11, verse 7. I know I'm going through this. I'm on a mission today. I'm going to try to finish his sermon for a chance, for a change. <laughs> it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. There you go. Faith is that we believe things that have, as if they were, though they've, they've never been yet. Because of what? Because we have assurance, because God has said it. And so God had spoken to Noah. It never, the world had never experienced such, but he acted in faith to the Lord. And you and I are to do the same when we are pleading and praying and crying out to the Lord. We, uh, we're, 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 we're only asking for the things he said he wants and that we can have and the things that he's spoken that we're to be and how we're to act and interact and what is ours in the name of Jesus. We are we're moving towards those things in our prayer. And we have full confidence of faith that we can do that and the authority of Jesus to ask for such in Jesus' name. This is biblical prayer. This is how we're to pray in faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are to pray. When we pray, we are to pray with passion and desire. This is one of my favorite points in prayer. Mark 11, verse 24, King James translation. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The word desire is the dominant word there. What's everything you desire? Certainly faith is important, but if your prayers don't mean anything to you, they're not going to mean anything to God. If your prayer is just a little bit of pity party and a little sorrow and a little wish me list on the side, well, that's not the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is, comes from a hard desire to see God's glory his, and his intervention into our lives. James 5 and verse 16 says this, Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, fervent just is meaning meaningful, an earnest desire for God. 
And when we first started this out, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He said, well, don't do this. Don't just stand out there and say words for the sake of saying words so people can say you're praying. Empty words with no feeling, with no urgency, with no fervency, with no passion. He says, don't do that. But we are to pray with feeling. We are to pray with an earnest and a fervent desire for the things of God to be brought into our life and the lives of those that we are believing and struggling with. It's about being earnest and sincere. Now, passion does not necessarily mean that it's always going to be expressed with a loud or emotional expression. You can have passion and be earnest and not be a loud guy like me. In fact, you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, where Hannah prayed. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound. He thought she had been drinking. Man, I wish our church could be drinking like that. Hey, you couldn't even hear her. But there must have been some real earnest, fervent desire there. Because here came Samuel. Poof. She conceived. She got that boy, that son she was wanting. Hey, God can be moved. What was her prayer? Lord, if you will give me a son, I've been barren all my life. But if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. He'll be yours. I just want to be able to have him for a time. What did she do? Took, took him there back to the temple and gave him to the Lord. He grew up to be the greatest prophet, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. And yet the prayer that conceived that, you couldn't even hear. And so it's not just about noise. Though noise is good, Acts chapter 12, some of us like noise, some of us, well, I don't get in, I don't have time on the mission. Acts 12, Peter's put in jail, the apostle. Verse 5, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly. There's that word earnestly, whatsoever things you desire when you pray. That word earnest is about desire. For him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Well, he was a worrying wart, wasn't he? Fastened with two chains between two soldiers, others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side, awakened him, and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Good idea. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all that time he thought it was a vision. You ever been dreaming and you thought, is this real? Is this not real? Am I really doing this? And then you woke up and said, oh God, I'm glad that was a dream. Or, oh God, I wish that wouldn't have been a dream. Well, Peter's like that. He's like, I don't. 
So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post, came to the iron gates leading to the city, and this opened up for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then an angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's real. True, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came upon and opened it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Oh, it's Peter! Ran away. Took off, left him standing there. Like, you better hurry. Open this door. Told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided, it must be this angel. Must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down. Weren't so quiet. Shh, quiet down. The God who rescued me may not be able to do it again. He didn't say it. Told him to quiet down. And then he told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. Fervent prayer was made. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. And so we must pray with passion and desire. When we pray, we are to pray in the will of God. 1 John 5, verses 14 through 15. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Now, we know what the will of God is in a, many, a lot of things because it's right here in the Bible. There are some things maybe we're uncertain about. And so when we pray, we say, Lord, whatever your will is, these are my desires. You don't have to. There's some things you don't have to pray. You know God wills for people to be saved because the Bible says that. And so you're praying for salvation for people. But if it's a new pickup you're wanting, you need to surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, well, whatever. You know, get quiet out there. Start talking about. I had a guy pull up. Well, I don't have time. I'm on a mission. It was about a pickup truck that the Lord gave him. Anyway, oh, get me started. We pray in the will of God. Amen. Sometimes you have to accept the will of God and just pray what God says for sure is true. He wants to work in you and you, your neighbor. And change us from the inside out. The last one for today. When we pray, we are to pray in the right standing with God. And I would say others. 
in Christ. So much of our relationship with God is reflected by our relationship with others in Scripture. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. It's reflected so much on how our relationship with other people. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone who you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins too. There's another scripture where Jesus said, hey, if you're worshiping and you can remember, think of somebody that's bothered by something you did, go to them and get it right and then come back and finish your worship. In 1 John, he says, if we don't love our brothers who we do see, how can we love God who we don't see? So much of our relationship with God is attached to our relationship with people. And so we need to be in right standing with the Lord. Well, I'm never going to be perfect. We know that. We, we understand that. And there'll be times when you accidentally kind of sin. There'll be times when you willfully go in with your eyes open and do things that are wrong. You get what right with God and you ask God to forgive you and you get back to that place and, and you're in a place of righteousness in Christ. And I'm so glad, Lord, it's not you, you don't deal with me according to my iniquities, but you deal with me what you've done with my iniquities in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, there's that name of Jesus again. Psalm 66, verses 17 through 20. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, please. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.